Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Uh, great to see them all putting together, uh, Lord, some, uh, some songs that really reflect upon Christmas and reflect upon Jesus, our great King. And that has been the theme that we've been working on today is Jesus, the King of Christmas, through the kids and also some of the uh, things we've put there as well. Yep, they're going to really close me off now, aren't they? Lucky I'm not behind the curtain, hey? Otherwise would be, be in trouble. So glad you could be with us. Let me just pray now as uh, we begin to just think about an element here of the, uh, the child of uh, Jesus as we, uh, as we think about him growing up. Uh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity we can have to gather this morning. And, and Lord, even now I ask and pray that you would just help our hearts to be opened up as we think about the story of the wise men, Lord, coming to visit Jesus and the significance of that and what you want to show us through that particular story. Help us now, we pray, to have eyes that really see and perhaps see things about Christ for the very first time, to see that he truly is the King, the King that is sent to come and save and rescue us. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, did you know what the word Christmas means in Latin? Christmas means in Latin to celebrate Christ or Christ celebration. And we often see that at the Christmas time. It is a season of celebration, celebrating families. We get together, which that will be happening perhaps through the week and more importantly next Sunday, next Sunday for Christmas Day. Uh, getting together and retelling all those stories again of such and such. Remember the time that car broke down? Remember the time something happened? We do that and we celebrate together. We also celebrate food next week as well with a whole array of tastes and textures, all the delicious things that come together on Christmas Day. Uh, we celebrate also, we'll be particularly some people will watch those Christmas movies that warm the heart and draw us into the longing for peace and joy and happiness. We have lots of stories here that actually surround, lots of details here that surround the Christmas story. And today, as I said, well, one of those details we want to pick up on is the wise men who search for Jesus and worship him as the newborn king. And today we're going to take that story from Matthew's Gospel and we'll look at what God wants us to actually see from that and what, what he wants to show us from that. And that was the reading that Peter read for us before, that long reading there from Matthew chapter 2 there as we went through that. First there, before we jump into that, what I wanted to ask is, who is Matthew and why is he writing for this? Why has he actually written this for us? Who is Matthew and why is he writing this for us? Matthew is one of the disciples of Jesus who lived closely with Christ for the last three years of Jesus' life upon earth. Matthew discovered who Jesus is, that truly he is God and he has come to rescue us and to save us. So what did Matthew do? He recorded for us a biography of the life of Jesus. That's why we have the gospel account according to Matthew. It's a biography of the life of Jesus. Uh, these are things that he had seen himself in the person of Christ but also things that he had spoke to others who were eyewitnesses of Jesus. So I would think probably here with this story, he's been talking to Mary, Jesus' mother, and getting an eyewitness account of what are the things that took place at the beginning of Jesus' life. So that is Matthew. He's written this for us today so that we can have confidence about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Let's jump into the story now as we think about what's happened through Matthew chapter 2. 
And firstly there, we see some wise men off the top of the bat there. That's who's in the top part of the story. Uh, These guys aren't from the Jewish race. They're not Jews. They're actually from the Far East and they've travelled a long way to get to where Christ is. In some sense, God has awakened within them an interest in what God is doing in some way and God's begun to awaken this within these wise men. Now, just a little um, perhaps clarification on the story and I don't want to blow the Christmas tinsel off your tree but the wise men never visited Jesus in the manger in Bethlehem when he was just born. I hope I haven't sort of burst your bubble in saying that but that never actually happened. They weren't there in the place where Jesus was born at that particular time. If you look at verse 1, verse 1 says after Jesus was born not immediately after, it's like after, after, after Jesus was born. That's when the wise men came from the east to visit him. And Jesus is probably 12 to 18 months old by this stage. So he's not a baby, he's probably a toddler and even maybe walking around. Just a small bit of clarification and you'll see how this sort of fits in later on. What did the wise men see? Well, they saw some sort of star in the night sky. And they would travel a long way sort of seeing this star and it's triggered something in their, in their mind here. And these wise men were exactly just that. They were wise, they were well-learned and well-read uh, people about science and about life. And this included a cultural significance of the day about stars, perhaps about astrology. But it's quite possible that God's placed this star here in some spectacular appearance in the night sky way over in the east where they've seen something and through their understanding here, through their reading, even through their maybe understanding a bit of the Jewish religion, they connect this star somehow with the arrival of the Messiah or the King. God's doing something here to pique their interest and awaken what's happening here with this star. So they do, they think this is the arrival of the King. So where do you go to discover Israel's King? Well, of course, they go to Jerusalem thinking, well, that is the capital city of Palestine. That is where the temple is. Surely if the king is born, he'll be born in Jerusalem. That's where the king should be born. The wise men travel and they get to Jerusalem and they ask all around the city, where is he? Have you seen the king who's been born? Has anybody seen this newborn king? So they're asking this all around the city of Jerusalem. And word gets around everywhere that a king has been born. At the same time in Jerusalem is another king, King Herod. Now he's not a good king. He's actually a pretty bad dude. He's not a nice man. He's in cahoots, as it were, with the Roman occupiers as a puppet king for the Romans, sort of doing their bidding and making sure the Roman Empire is doing what it needs to do in Jerusalem at that time. He's actually a power-hungry person and he wants to hold on to control at all costs. This is the, the king of, his, of Israel at that time who's um, uh, under the Roman occupation. This guy's married ten times and some of those marriages are for political alliances to keep him in power. He's so fearful about losing power, at one stage he's murdered one of his wives, two of his sons and his mother-in-law on one occasion because he feared they were plotting to overthrow him. Gives you a bit of a picture here of King Herod. As I said, he's not a good bloke. Sort of watch this space as we go further along in the story. 
He hears because these guys have been looking, the wise men have come, they're looking for the king. Herod hears this and he goes and contacts the local religious elites in verse 4 and he asks them, where is the Christ to be born? Where is this to take place? The Pharisees, the scribes here, the religious elites, they search the scriptures in verse 5 and 6 and they tell Herod, this is where he's meant to be born. It's in Bethlehem. That was the reading we had with Esther before from Micah. A ruler from you shall come from Epaphratah in Bethlehem. Herod tracks down the wise men. He holds this very secret meeting with them and he says, go to Bethlehem and find this king for me and I'll come down and worship him as well. Is that true, Herod? Is that what you really want to do? Do you want to come and worship this king, giving we know your background? The wise men head off towards Bethlehem, and then that same star that they saw previously, it appears again before them. These guys are stoked. They're overjoyed here as they see this star again. It's like God helps them by using this star to guide the wise men again to the house where they're going to find the newborn king. Jesus, by now a toddler, both with Mary and with Joseph. What do the wise men do? They enter into the house and they see Jesus. And immediately as they see Jesus, they recognise him as the true king. God opens their eyes up to say, this is the true king of Israel. And in respect and acknowledgement of that, they fall down on their face and they worship him. What a wonderful picture that would be. What a strange thing maybe for Mary and Joseph. Here's this toddler and these three wise men from the far east, they're bowing down before this little child and worshipping him as the true king. A very powerful recognition here that this toddler is no ordinary child. There's something significantly different here about the person Jesus. Well, the wise men compliment their worship of King Jesus by giving very expensive gifts to him. You all probably know gold, frankincense and myrrh. You know it well. They may be symbolic. We really don't know. But what we do know is this. They are extremely costly gifts that are only fitting for someone extremely important, such as a king on that particular time. So they give these gifts, spend some time there in Bethlehem, and then they decide to return home, back to their home country again, back into the Far East. God warns them in a dream. Do not go back via Herod and tell him that you found the king. Don't do that. Don't do that, because Herod is about to uh, kill that child. Joseph at the same time, possibly the same night, he gets a dream as well from God and he's been told by God, Herod's about to search for the child to kill him. Fly to Egypt, leave and go to Egypt and be there in safety until Herod is dead and then he can return back from that. And Joseph actually doesn't waste any time. That night, packs his bags, puts the family on the back of the donkey and away they go. He didn't sort of wait for a week or so. It just again shows the the obedience they had before the Lord at that particular time. Goes, gone. Herod works out. He's been deceived by the wise men. They've been gone for a few weeks now maybe or maybe longer. They should have been back by now. They should have been back. What's going on? He actually, he knows he's been tricked. He's been deceived by these wise men. He hits the roof and he's in a filthy, filthy rage. He's going off the scales. Herod wants no rival king whatsoever to come and take away his power. So what does he do without wasting 
any time, without wasting any time, Herod organises a death squad, sends them down to Bethlehem to kill all male boys two years and younger. Not only in Bethlehem, but maybe the surrounding area around Bethlehem as well. Now, it's not a big village. Possibly 30 or 40 boys could have been killed at that time. But he sends a death squad and he's going to take all these rivals out. What's Bethlehem doing? Well, they're racked by inconsolable pain and grief. There are murdered and executed little baby boys all over the place. This village is weeping and it's wailing with an emotional pain of death and of loss. That's the story there in Matthew chapter 2. And it's there for us. So the question we need to ask ourselves today is, God, what do you want us to see as we read this story here about the child Jesus, about the wise men, about about Herod, about the execution of all these baby boys in Bethlehem? What do you want us to see out of this, Lord? Because we're meant to see something as we read this and think about this. Well, here's the first thing that we see. Christmas isn't always presents and plum pudding. It is that, but it's not always that. What's Bethlehem experiencing at this particular time in this story? Suffering and unimaginable pain. Unimaginable pain. Now, we prayed for these people earlier on, but we have a local shepherd and family today who this time last week lost their 16-year-old son in Lake Moala. I know what they're experiencing at the moment. Pain and difficulty. They'll be numb with that challenge and that grief will be there for many weeks and many months. This week we've seen on the, on the uh, news headlines about those policemen and that other person, the, the nearby farmer, executed in cold blood. Just gunned down. I can't begin to imagine what those poor people are going through today as they lead up to Christmas. What's it going to be like for them when they sit around the Christmas table in a few days' time and those people aren't there? There'll be brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers who'll be shattered possibly for the rest of their lives because of this grief and this pain. You see, Christmas isn't always presents and plum pudding. We live in a world that is marked by pain and suffering. And we have this because of our sin against a good and holy God who's created this world and given it to us. When we reject God, our creator, when we actually don't live the way he calls us to live, we reap the consequences of this sin. And for some people this Christmas, it's going to be hard. Beyond some of us to even imagine how that will be for them. Secondly, as we look at this story here, this true story, God isn't immune to our pain. God's not distant and remote and unconnected or just not touched by this at all. That's not how God is. God enters into our world, the world that we've corrupted and distorted, the world he's given to us, and God sends a king who will truly lead us to salvation and restoration in him. We actually see that happening right here. Jesus, the very son of God, comes as a baby, grows into a man to ultimately rescue us from God's right judgment toward us. And right here in this story, Matthew's showing us from the get-go that as a toddler, that Jesus is being harassed 
and rejected by the world, even at this early stage of life. His parents have actually got to pack the whole lot up and just go to Egypt because they're on the run because they're fearing for the life of their son. So right from the get-go, here is God experiencing what it's like to be knowing this pain and rejection and suffering. The world's a bit like, in the sense of Herod, Jesus, we're just happy the way we are. Just leave us alone. Let us live the way we want to live. But Jesus is not going to do that. He won't leave us here on a path of eternal self-destruction. Jesus enters into our world, into this marred and scarred world that he's created for us, and he enters into this world now, as it were, to lead us to salvation, to rescue us from this broken world that we live in. Now, the wise men didn't know this at the time, but King Jesus would bear the ultimate destruction by being killed on a Roman cross as he carried our sins on our behalf. They didn't get that then, but they may have lived to have seen and heard about it later on. And what they would see then is that the actual cradle ultimately leads to the cross. And that is where Jesus takes our place bearing God's justice towards us and towards our sins. The sinless king in the crib becomes the sinless saviour on the cross in our place. God enters into our world, enters into our pain to ultimately rescue that from us. That's the second thing here I think Matthew's showing us. Third thing I believe that God's showing us through this story is this, that salvation is for all of us if we choose to believe, if we choose to truly follow Christ. In the religious thought of that day, the wise men, they weren't eligible. Uh Uh-uh, you guys aren't Jewish. It's only the Jewish people that really should get salvation. That was the the religious thought of the day back then. The wise men, who are they? They're, They're pagans, they're godless, they're unworthy of anything from God whatsoever. That would be the thought then. You guys aren't going to get that. God's got a different story. He's got a very different story here for them. Salvation is for all who believe. God demonstrates that by calling these so-called pagans, these so-called godless sort of um, cannibals, as it were, heathens, that's probably a better word to describe them. That's how they would have been thought of in that day. And God calls them and reveals to them who the king is. That it's King Jesus. He's the one who rescues and saves. That he is the ultimate king. And God even meets them where they're at. He's happy to even use a star in the sky, as it were, to lead them to find this salvation. God calls them. The ones who would be least expected to be called. And they believe. And they follow. And they traverse up and down mountains and hills to get there. Amazing. It's the third thing. Jesus, I think uh, God teaches us here through this story at Christmas. I want us to think now about two responses here in this story between the different groups of people we actually see happening here. Let's look at Herod first. He's heard about this king that's been born and he's heard about it from the, the, um, the scribes, the Pharisees, that this is Christ the Messiah. But who is Herod? He's this sort of self imploding, insecure madman. He's filled with fear and anxiety. He can't, he does not want to lose power at all. He's just doing everything he can to hang on to power. What can I do? I'll, I'll take out every single male boy under two years of old in Bethlehem and, and the surrounding districts because I want to keep on power. But he has no interest in actually who Jesus is. He has no interest even to, 
maybe I better find out if this is Christ. This is God's Messiah. He's not interested in that. He's only interested in his power. The scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, are somewhat the same response as what Herod's got there. They should have been waiting with expectation and longing for the coming of the Messiah. They should have been like just hanging on the edge of the seats thinking, surely it must be soon. After all, they've studied the scriptures and they understood where he was going to be born. They actually had this knowledge and understanding of that. They should have been filled with excitement. And particularly when these wise men arrive, say, we've seen something in the sky, something to let us say, the king has been born. Where is he? Or what do these scribes and Pharisees do? Nothing. Nothing. Bethlehem's about five miles or about eight kilometres from Jerusalem. Why didn't they at least go down there and just check it out? It's probably a day trip to return and back on the donkey to go down. Okay, maybe let's just find, maybe the king is, has been born down there. But they didn't do that. You see, for these guys, the news of Jesus was just ho-hum. I don't really think too much about that. No, I've got other stuff to do today anyway, so no, not going to worry about it. Just brush Jesus off just like that. They were caught up in the affairs of the world and they weren't even going to give Jesus enough time to think about, oh, is he? Maybe? Could be? Not in the slightest. Just caught up in the everyday affairs of the world. No time for King Jesus whatsoever. Their response is like Herod. I'm not even going to investigate who Jesus is. I'm just going to leave it just as it is. I'm happy with my life right where it is. I'm not even going to think about the big picture of life. Well, the wise men were very different, though, in their response. Very different. Once they got a sniff of what God has done for us in this king, they were on the trail. They were on the trail. They walked for days and days and days, up over mountains, down into valleys, crossing rivers, into a foreign country, into the capital city, and they were asking everybody, where is he? Where is he? We need to find this king. They were onto something really onto something. God had begin to open their eyes about who this king was. And just look at what God did for them when they finally discovered Jesus. Have a look in verse 10 there. And when they saw the star again as it led them, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They discovered Jesus, the true king. They worshipped and they gave their best to honour such a king. This is the response of their heart now as they believe who Jesus is. Their hearts overflow with joy. Crossing those mountains, crossing those rivers, giving those gifts, so worth it. Jesus is worth it all. They discovered Jesus, they discovered the king, and they discovered God's gift of salvation when they discovered this glorious, glorious king. And just see what God birthed inside of them as they made this discovery. God birthed this inside them. It was joy. Joy. Back in the verse here, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. To discover King Jesus is to discover joy. This is what Christmas is all about. It's the joy that King Jesus gives. It's the joy of being forgiven by God. It's the joy of being accepted by Jesus. It's the joy of knowing and experiencing God's love and peace Every day, not just today, but every day, these wise men discover the joy of the hope that never diminishes, even when I'm down and out. 
even when I'm facing the suffering and the challenge of this world, the pain of this world, the joy of Christ is not diminished by that. That's the joy that these wise men discovered. And the joy of knowing that God is always with me and I have nothing to fear in life or death because of this king who has come to liberate me and to rescue me. This is the joy that those wise men discovered. This is the Christmas joy that God freely gives to all those who believe, just like these wise men. They believed what God had done and then they entered into that relationship with God, this living and loving relationship, knowing the king that had set them free from their sin, which had cut them off from God, and now they're brought back into this glorious relationship with him and not some fleeting relationship with Jesus. Not the fleeting relationship we have sometimes with the toys of Christmas where the shine wears off after a few weeks. This is an eternal relationship that God has now called them into and they meet the king and they gladly give their lives to him for the joy that he has given them. That is the true king of Christmas. That is the king that we want to celebrate today. Let me just pray now as we close off this talk. Father, thank you. Thank you today as we just read this story again and see the child Jesus, as it were, being worshipped by these wise men. Travelling from afar, Lord, to come and recognise the great and glorious King that you've given to us. The King to rescue, the King to save, the King of all kings, the King eternal. But we think about Bethlehem today and we think about the pain and the suffering they went through back at that time. We think today, Lord, of the many, many people around this world, even those ones we spoke about in our own locality, Lord, that will be struggling this Christmas with pain and suffering. We pray, God, that would you begin to open up their hearts to see the glorious King that you've sent to us, to bring comfort into that pain and to bring peace into that suffering, I pray. God, we thank you today that you entered into the world that we have distorted. The world that we have marred and scarred. You didn't send somebody else, you sent yourself to be the true king. The king that would lead us to salvation. Lord, today I pray, please let that king be revealed and open up into our hearts. And may we worship the newborn king, King Jesus. Lord, today I ask and I pray this now in your name, Lord. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.